fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hi, hello, and welcome back to the show. Here's what we got in store for you today. Once that client left and they outsourced direct to the vendor, we had to look for a new revenue opportunity. We're also going to be talking about your backstory today, your origin story, how you came to be the owner of the business. And this is a nice follow-up to something we did in last week's show about whether or not you should build your brand, because your backstory can actually form an important part of your marketing of the packaging of your business. We've also got some news this episode of another giveaway. In next week's show, we'll be giving away a fantastic prize and producer James will be here later on to tell you all about it. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Should you put your MSP's logo on your car, so your branding on your car? If you can, 100% yes. Do it, do it, do it. Now, I'm a little bit biased in this because my earlier career before I started doing marketing and getting involved with MSPs, you know, back like we're talking in the past century, I worked in radio. In fact, I did 10 years in radio and the last few years I was running the radio stations. And one of the greatest marketing tools that we had as a radio station were our promotional vehicles. Now, you may have heard of these before because this was a concept which went worldwide in the 1990s. But at all the stations I worked at, we had promotional vehicles called Black Thunders. Do any of your local radio stations have Black Thunders? They were basically black four by fours, as we call them here in the UK, or SUVs, as they're known in the States. And we'd have two or three of them and we'd plaster them with our radio station logo. So they were completely stand out. They were the ultimate look at me vehicle. And in fact, it used to be really cool driving around in those because people would wave at you and they'd honk their horn. And you get stopped by the police quite a lot, normally because they want to see if there's someone famous in the car, which there very rarely is. Anyway, those vehicles were worth their weight in gold. The reality is they were just two kind of knackered, overused vehicles that, but we just got them out everywhere. You know, we would have them out on the road, literally from six in the morning till seven, eight o'clock at night. We would park them up in all sorts of places. If we were at an event, they were at an event and they were our main marketing tool. And most of the stations I worked at were quite small and didn't have big marketing budgets. So whatever money we did have, we just put into things that would get us out there. And the vehicles were a critical part of that. We only had two promotional vehicles at my favourite station, the one I worked at in Peterborough in Cambridgeshire. We only had two vehicles, but we made it look like we had five or six or seven. We worked those vehicles and worked them and worked them and worked them. And I realised at the time just how powerful it was to wrap your vehicles, to put branding on your vehicles. Yes, you need to do this if you possibly can. Now, I appreciate you may only have one vehicle in your business, which is yours. And you might not want to drive around with the name of your business plastered all over your personal car. And I get that because actually for a couple of years, my company car was one of those promotional vehicles. And I had all of that kind of promotional stuff all over. And, and you know, what's really cool when you're working is not cool at the weekend when people are approaching you and coming and asking for a car sticker. And I used to get quite a lot of abuse as well. People would leave bits of kebab on my car when it was parked in the street. It was a bit of a random thing that was. Anyway, you might choose not to have that as your own personal vehicle, but if you have any business vehicles at all, wrap them. 
And by wrapping them, I mean you don't just put your logo on, you literally, you get the whole car wrapped. This costs you a couple of thousand pounds or dollars, but it is worth every inch. You get the most impactful designer you can find, you get them to design an incredible design, and you wrap it, and you have it so that you cannot ignore those vehicles. Even if you've only got one of those, that will have an impact. If you've got two or three or more, incredible, absolutely incredible. If you have any vans or any vehicles at all that are involved with the business, or even if you've got the guts to do this with your own personal car, and show it to your family, then just get it done. But you've got to go for impact. When you have promotional vehicles like these, or you, you wrap and put branding on your vehicle, you cannot be subtle about it. You've got to be very, very overt. It's got to be in their face. Oh, and don't forget as well, when you wrap a vehicle, it's not just what goes on the front and the sides and on the back. You've also got the roof. And in fact, if you think about it, if you've got vans and your engineers, your technicians are taking those vans to office buildings, well, office buildings aren't just single story buildings. There are people on floors two, three, four, and five. And some of those people will look out the window and they'll see your company vehicle wrap the top of the vehicle. In fact, you could be very clever and you could have a message put on the top of the vehicle like someone in this building is benefiting from IT support from your company name. You could probably put that in fewer words, but you get the idea. Wouldn't that be cool? Imagine what impact you can have in your local area with branded vehicles. Here's this week's clever idea. Last week on the show, we were talking about your brand and whether or not you should be investing time and energy and cash into developing your brand. And pretty much the answer I gave was no. Unless you've got a really, really big business and you're buying in a lot of marketing resource, I wouldn't worry too much about your brand because the brand is the emotional feeling that people get. Instead, focus the small amounts of time and cash you've got on doing practical direct response marketing that actually gets people talking to you and gets leads into the business. However, there is an easy piece of branding that you can do and you can put this within your packaging within your marketing and that is getting your backstory right. So your backstory is your story or the business's story. It's how you got to where you are today. Now, I don't mean some kind of turgid account of facts and dates. You know, we established the business in 1972 as a one-man band. Then in 1981, we moved to so-and-so building uh, down the road. A particularly interesting thing happened in 1986. We no, one, no one wants to read that. They really don't. In fact, this is boring and it's only kind of interest to, to you and maybe to your family. No, a powerful backstory is a very carefully put together tale. It's a story and it's created in such a way that it triggers an emotional response in your clients and in your prospects. Let me give you an example. Maybe you've heard of Stelios. So Stelios is a UK entrepreneur and he founded a company called EasyJet, which is an airline. It's a budget airline. And uh, he's, the, he's actually the son of a wealthy ship owner. He's got, I think it's Cypriot roots. And in the early 1990s, and get this, this would be nice to happen. In the early 1990s, his father gave him 30 million pounds to set up a shipping business. Uh, that was called Stelmar Shipping. And then Stelios later, well, he kind of built it up and he sold it for about a billion pounds, which is nice work. I wish my dad would give me 30 million pounds 
to go and set up a shipping business. Anyway, he launched EasyJet because while he was running that business, the shipping business, he was flying around a lot. He traveled a lot and he had to use, you know, kind of like the old big legacy airlines. And every time he was on a plane, Stelios would sit there and think, this is just crazy. I'm being served up food that I don't want, and yet I had to pay for it as part of the ticket. You know, I've paid 400 quid for this trip. Uh, there should be a budget airline where the earlier you book, the less you pay. And that's what Stelios did. In fact, he went on to create not just EasyJet, but arguably he created the entire modern budget airline industry that's, that's now worldwide, where you simply pay for what it is that you want. Cheap flights with no frills. And the earlier you book, the less you pay. Now that's a real backstory because it explains why Stelios was motivated to set up the first modern budget airline. He was really frustrated with the way that the big airlines were doing things and he believed that people shouldn't have to pay for things that they didn't want. So what's the backstory for your MSP? What's the backstory that paints a picture in the minds of the reader and it tells them why they should trust your business? I mean, it could be something as simple as, your name is passionate about IT and has been for as long as he can remember. As a child growing up in town name, he was fascinated by all sorts of computers and was always playing with them. His bedroom was crammed with all sorts of technology as he experimented with computers, constantly pushing the limits. It was no surprise to anyone when you left school and announced that you dedicate your life to helping businesses get the most out of their IT. That was 20 years ago and today, your name is still in love with IT, computers, and technology. He's the owner and the principal technology strategist of your business name, the leading IT support company in your town, uh, with more than 10 highly qualified support technicians. Now, that is a backstory. Because you see, even though Stelios was really wealthy before he founded EasyJet, what's relevant is not really the money side. It's a man sitting on a plane, getting frustrated and thinking, I'd like to do this better. You know, maybe you working somewhere and getting frustrated and thinking, I want to run my own MSP, my own IT support company, the way I want to do it. Because I'm passionate about the technology and helping clients, but I don't think we do a very good job here. I want to do it my way. That would be a great backstory. You know, even if you only opened your business a couple of years ago, you still have a backstory. It's unique to you because you had a unique motivation. Get that backstory, put it on your website, sprinkle it throughout your marketing materials. The purpose of a backstory, remember, is to communicate passion. Show a passion for what you do and how you do it, and clients will not be able to resist you. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hey, this is producer James here to tell you about something cool happening on the podcast next week. As this show approaches its 100th episode, the prizes are getting bigger and we're celebrating the return of physical events in the MSP world. The huge three-day DatoCon 21 conference is for the first time not only a physical event in Seattle, but if you can't travel or you're in the UK or elsewhere in the EMEA region, Australia or wherever you are in the world, it's been equally designed as an awesome virtual experience too. If you're an MSP, this is the big event. Loads of speakers, sessions, networking and insights to inspire you. So as a listener, you could either be winning a place at DatoCon 21 in person if you can make it to Seattle between the 11th and the 13th of October, or a pair of VIP virtual places. Just listen to next week's show, episode 94, out on August 31st. The Big Interview. Hi, my name's Nick Moran. I'm the co-founder and director of PowerNet. 
started back in 1993 and I'm an MSP just like you. And thank you so much for coming on to the show, Nick. We've got so many things to talk about because you've got an incredible business and I want to explore how you started that business, what you've done to grow it over the years. And then in the second part of our interview, I want to talk about your marketing because I know you have a pretty good inbound marketing strategy that I'd like us to explore. But tell us about your business. So where are you now? I know physically you're in Australia, but where are you now in terms of number of techs, number of clients, that sort of thing? We've been operating now for about 28 years and we've got offices in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane, but we pretty much look after small to medium businesses throughout Australia. We've got about 85 staff, probably three quarters of them are technically based. In terms of running the business day to day, do you, you you said you're the co-founder, do you have a management team that works with you? I guess with 85 people, you'd have to. Yeah, we've got a CEO that's been appointed and he's got a leadership team around him and both myself and the other director are part of that leadership team. Okay, you've got it easy. So you're just out playing golf all day. I wish, I wish. Uh, maybe, <laughs> look, maybe one day. But um, yeah, certainly it's uh, it's a little bit easier now. A different, different range of issues than what it used to be. Yeah, I bet. So that's pretty impressive growth, and obviously you, you've you've taken a number of years to do that. So it's it's good, steady, solid growth. Tell us the story. How did you get started in the first place? Yeah, it's a little bit interesting and I, in some ways I sort of fell into it. I finished high school in 1992, um, had a lot of fun at high school but didn't do much work. Probably uh, not blessed with too many opportunities straight after it. So my my dad actually won $7,000 at the horse races and kindly uh, trying to push me into doing something rather than working at the local service station, pushed me into running my own computer business. And with nothing to lose, I um, I said, yep, no worries. All right, let's do it. Yeah, it sort of took off from there. That's awesome. And I'm guessing back in, so what we're talking, 92, 93, that would have been, was it mostly residential? Was it just sort of break fix work? Did you have a shop? First thing I did was uh, I got a, a really small shop and it was literally, I was just sitting behind a desk and I'd advertise in the local paper and someone would come up and I'd um, try to sell them a computer and if they went ahead with it, I'd shut the shop, I'd go around, pick up all the parts, go back to the office, put it together, and uh, the cycle just continued. But it was, uh, it was very different times, that's for sure. Yeah, doesn't it seem like a different world back then? It really does. So what was the point at which you moved into what we would look at today as managed services, so where you've got clients on contract and you're actually partnering with them, not just fixing things? It came at a time that we were going through some challenges. We had a major client, which was probably 70% of our business. And it was, uh, it was great while it lasted. And we certainly thrived off the back of it. But once that client left and they outsourced direct to the vendor, we had to look for a new revenue opportunity. And uh, managed services was quite new at that stage. And it was, um, it was all around the time of the global financial crisis as well. So... It was challenging times all around, but it gave us an opportunity to try something a bit different. How does a business survive losing 70% of its revenue? We nearly didn't. I still have regrets to this day that I probably didn't pull the trigger on some de- having some tough conversations that I should have had earlier. You know, probably lost over 18 months, probably lost nearly $500,000 back then. And in hindsight, you know, looking back on it and knowing what I do today, my dad at the time was, you know, ready for retirement and he pretty much put up his house to keep us afloat. So it was really tough times and, you know, yes, learnt a huge amount from it. 
But, um, yeah, I said I'd never put myself or my team in that position again. So would you say that that was a pivotal moment, a moment that you realised, you know, we, we can't keep going like this, we can't trust these whale clients, we've got to do things different? Or let me put it another way, is, is what happened to you, must be what, about 13, 14 years ago, was that what has directly led to the business that you've got today? Absolutely. And what it did give us was a platform to, to start fresh and uh, we were able to make off the back of some really disastrous financials, we were able to make some decisions to say this was the type of client we would take on and this is the type of client we wouldn't take on. We put everything into the traditional law you can eat managed services model and it did pay off. So give us an idea, and I appreciate this may have changed over the last decade or so, but give us an idea back then of what was the ideal client? What, we, what were you looking for back then? It's funny. It's what we were looking for back then is probably not too dissimilar to what we look for now. And it's a, it's a client that valued IT. And back then it was a little bit harder, I guess, because you know only if IT was considered a cost in a lot of organizations. So back then, a 10-employee business that really valued IT and valued the work that we did was our perfect client, whereas now it's, it's more around the sort of you know, 50 to 100 seat mark. Yeah, I guess as you get bigger and you have the, the extra resources, well, it's the, it's the same opportunity cost, isn't it, per client, whether that client has 10 seats or 50 seats. So it makes sense that as you get bigger, you're looking for bigger clients as well. So what's the, the secret? I hate to use the word secret, but what have you done mm. then, Nick, over the last 10 years to go from essentially rescuing the business and, and just about hanging in there to the point where you are today with all of these clients and 85 staff? One thing that I've done really well is surround myself with people that compliment me and are able to do things that I certainly couldn't have done by myself. We've always had a very strong culture and a, a really great culture at PowerNet, but you know some of these people have just been amazing. At you know at times that I was either personally down or the business was professionally down, these guys stepped up and um, they really complimented. Me. I mean, the worst thing you could do is to have uh, multiple nicks running around the business. It would just be <laughs> chaos. Yeah, and I think that would be the same for any business owner, wouldn't it? To to you know, we think we should clone ourselves uh, because, of course, we're the well, we're, we're both the, the greatest asset and the greatest liability in the business. And certainly, when you get busy and you've got two or three staff, you think, oh, if only I could clone myself. But you've actually found that building a proper team around you is is the route. It's the route to to getting big and 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 doing it properly. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, myself and my, my business partner, Jacob, uh, if we cloned ourselves, I'm not sure we'd have much of a team left because we seem to cause a lot of chaos behind us. But what we, what we do do well is um, attract some fantastic people to, to join us on this journey. And we're, you know, we've got something pretty special at the moment. You see, Nick, your staff want you to be on the golf course. They don't want you there meddling with things. Oh, don't tempt me, Paul. <laughs> you know, you know you want to go and do it. So let's talk about your marketing then. So you obviously are feeding a, a, a big business. Um, you'll have a lot of overhead. You'll, I'm sure, got an, a ton of monthly recurring revenue that's coming in. And it's, it's, it's probably a, you know, a, a, very, a very solid business to run. But what do you do to attract new clients? Yeah, it's something that we've had a few cracks at over the years, to be honest. And at times, we've sort of pulled all our cash together, pushed it in a pile and just set fire to it. It's really been a challenge at times. And that's probably because we didn't have a strategy behind it. And we certainly didn't refer back to that strategy and it didn't link with our business plan. And Can you give us an example of, of a time you, you burnt your cash? 
we're doing some really good numbers with vendors and you know, vendors throw MDF at you often, but it's uh, with two days to go at the end of the quarter when they need to spend it. And they, they really, they don't care about the ROI. They just care about spending that. So what we, what we find is that we put in as much effort as they put in and, you know, we're never going to get the results that we all would ideally want because we just haven't put the effort in. So um, taking away those sort of once-offs, we've had to sit back, it was probably three, four years ago, and really do a marketing strategy that we were uh, committed to executing. You know, and that that came down to assigning a budget for it and, you know, allowing others and trusting others to be able to execute against it. So give us an idea now of, of what you do then to acquire new clients. So we do a range of things. So we've obviously got our initiatives surrounding our normal sort of website and SEO. We we outsource a lot of the SEO content for backlinks and keywords and content and things. But we create a lot of content ourselves. So that ranges from ebooks to blogs to video content to uh, create that inbound marketing. And that, you know, that takes time and it needs to be a consistent effort. And it needs to be themed. So we do that in a variety of ways. We set out our themes for the whole year, but they may change, you know, according to either the performance of those themes or, you know, the industry may change or the VTO or business plan by the stakeholders may, may in fact, change it as well. So, you know, there's quite a few things we do there, but we need to execute on it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you and I have very similar opinions about the power of inbound marketing, you know, of using content to to attract attention and position yourself correctly to the prospects. But it is a long-term strategy. And many of the MSPs I talk to, they haven't quite got the the will to wait, you know, to wait the six yeah. to 12 months for the leads to turn up. How do, how do you manage that? How do you deal with that? It's a, it's a tough one because personally, I'm an impatient person. So, you know, if you're, if if you're sticking your hand in your pocket and committing to $100,000 of marketing or whatever it might be, it could be $10,000 of marketing, I'm, I'm looking for a return immediately. And inbound marketing is just not that. You know, It's a consistent approach. You need to be there when the buyer is, is ready to look. And you know, it's very rare that you're going to hit them on that first, first engagement of marketing. So you know, inbound and content creation is just one of those strategies that one of the marketing strategies that we execute against um, SEO is another one. We do a lot of uh, webinars and what we call our community or ecosystem. So um, doing virtual lunch and roundtable discussions with uh, clients, prospects, things like that. We do some account-based marketing. So our, our marketing manager sits down with our account managers internally uh, once a fortnight and goes through some targeted approaches for their clients as well. So there's just engagement. There's lots and lots of engagement in there. Yeah. And, you know, again, case studies uh, are certainly written up uh, with SEO and new business references in mind. So there's a big focus on that as well. And the last, the last part that we do is around lost leads and nurturing our lost leads. So we don't, you know, as much as sometimes, you know, to lose a client, you want to sort of put a line through them and forget about them. What we do is to, we've got a whole campaign around making sure that we try to stay in touch with those clients uh, where possible. You know, obviously, you know, some may not want to, but, um, you know, we certainly want to be there just in case the, the grass isn't as green as they imagined it would be. Got it. So by, by a lost lead, you mean someone that's 
how dare they? They haven't chosen you. They've chosen to go with someone else. But <laughs> instead of just giving up on them, you, you you keep in touch with them. And and do you, you might not have a percentage, but do you see some of those people coming to you, you know, a year or two down the line when they have discovered that someone, as you say, on the other side, you know, another MSP wasn't necessarily as good as they thought they'd be? Oh, absolutely. And we've created a, a real culture and what we call an ecosystem around PowerNet for many years where we've got a lot of our staff actually return to us, you know, two, three times and a lot of clients do the same. You know, sometimes it could be a, they could have been purchased by another organization and then, you know, sold off and then they they came back. So we we really try to create an environment, a safe environment for clients and staff to you know, be able to come and go. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Nick, let's draw this to a close. That's been a, a fascinating insight into what you've been doing over you know, a number of years. I think you and I must be a very similar age. If you finished high school in 92, I certainly left school in, in 92 at the age of um, around about 18. Um, so you, you've, done a, you've done an awful lot in, in an incredible amount in, in your years, assuming you're in your sort of mid to late 40s as well. Um, if you could go back, and this is my final question to you, if you could go back and talk to 20-year-old Nick or 21-year-old Nick, what piece of advice would you give yourself? It's a, it's a good question, and it doesn't seem that long ago, if that makes any sense whatsoever. I know it's been 28 years, but I think I would tell myself to get involved in community and uh, the partner community in the industry a lot sooner than I actually did. I know a couple of turning points in my um, business career were being involved in peer groups and um, being surrounding myself with other business owners that could really share some ideas and to share some of my mistakes with. You know, because people learn from mistakes and I, I often think had I known about some other people's mistakes earlier, I may not have made them themselves. You can learn a lot from other people's mistakes and you can certainly teach a lot by sharing yours. Nick, thank you so much for your time. You've been so incredibly generous joining us on the podcast this week. How do we get in touch with you? Uh, you can hit up our uh, website at power-net.com.au or I'm on LinkedIn under Nick Moran. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. Hi, my name is Steve Preda. I'm the author of Viable, your guide to building a self-managing, fast-growing and high-profit business. This week, I'm recommending High Output Management from Andy Grove, who is the former CEO and chairman of Intel. He took the business from the beginning to being one of the biggest company in the country. This is a wonderful little book in which Andy shares his own experience of how to build a business, how to be a great entrepreneur, a great CEO. What are some of the concepts that you come up against and how do you think about it? What are the frameworks and how do you conceptualize some of the issues in your business? This was published in the mid 80s and it's still on the bestsellers list. So definitely check this out. Coming up next week. Hi, I'm Ruben Swartz, founder of Memorin, the CRM for people who love serving clients but hate selling. I'm also the host and chief nerd on the Sales for Nerds podcast. And I can't wait for you to hear my discussion with Paul Green, where we talk about how to write better MSP proposals. We're also going to be talking about where you sit for pricing in your marketplace. Now, you're probably like most MSPs. You're probably somewhere in the middle. You're not the most expensive and you're not the cheapest either. Well, you don't want to be the cheapest because that's just a battle to reduce your own margins. 
and you don't really want to be in the middle because everyone else is in the middle. I believe you should try to be the most expensive MSP in your area. And we'll be talking more next week about why that is and what you can do about it. Plus, we've got that giveaway next week that producer James was talking about earlier on. If you want an in-person or a virtual VIP place at the huge DatoCon event that's happening this year, make sure you're listening to next week's show. See you then. Made in the UK for MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast.